Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Pastor Amanda Goldbeck. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Holiday greetings to every one of you joining us this morning. Our scripture reading today is from the second book of Samuel, chapter 7, verses 1 through 11, and verse 16. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word on this Sunday before Christmas. Our minds are spinning with the topics of the year, of holiday preparations, and of our adjustments for this celebration during a pandemic. Silence in us any voice but your own, Lord, that hearing we may be comforted by your presence as we seek to obey your will through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Second Samuel 7, verses 1 through 11. When King David was settled in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, See now, I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell your servant David, thus says the Lord, Are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may live in their own place and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, and your throne shall be established forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Before we begin, let us go to God in prayer. 
Holy and gracious God, be with us this morning as we reflect on your word. Open our hearts, open our minds to what you have to speak to us this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Church sanctuaries are special places. They are often pretty central to the community life of a congregation. And as a result, people tend to form some particular opinions about what the sanctuary should look like. During seasons like Advent, people seem to have even more particular views on how the sanctuary should be decorated to welcome the newborn king. I'm sure you can imagine some of the things that you prefer to see in our sanctuary. My home church, the church where I grew up, has a beautiful sanctuary. It probably seats 200 to 250, so medium-sized. It has a balcony and a beautiful chancel. Now, when I was growing up, the sanctuary was very traditional. It had this burnt orange carpet in the aisles and Presbyterian blue upholstered pews. The chancel had the typical carpeted two front steps that led to a small space for the communion table and then the choir loft. The pulpit and lectern were somewhat elevated from the chancel, making you feel like you were slightly levitating over the congregation when you stood to preach or to read the scripture. Ultimately, it looked like it hadn't been touched since probably the late 1950s. Now, when I was a younger kid, I didn't think much about the aesthetics of the sanctuary. All I cared about was getting to sneak up to the balcony to sit with my friends during the sermons, or wondering which were the best pews to hide under during the old church hide-and-seek games. And then as I, as I got into high school, I began to become aware of the outdated feel of the sanctuary, and in particular, the lack of color coordination. I secretly hoped they would replace the carpet before I ever imagined of getting married. And then, then I went off to college, and while within my first year there, I heard a rumor that they were renovating the church sanctuary. Now I thought, oh, that's nice. I needed it. So I came home after it was done, and I was all excited to go to church, and I walked into the sanctuary, and I couldn't believe it. I wanted to cry. They had ruined it. They got rid of all the carpet, and they redesigned the chancel, and they completely took away the lectern and the pulpit and replaced it with what I deemed was a very pitiful podium. The choir loft? Completely gone. It was replaced with flexible seating that could be moved all around to accommodate different formats. I couldn't believe it. I sat through that whole worship service, completely unable to hear a word of the sermon or sing a lick of the hymns. I was sure God wasn't there. I was sure that God had been renovated right out of that sanctuary. Now, eventually, I came to terms with the new sanctuary. It's where I mourned my grandmother after she died. It's where I was ordained, and it's where I was married. 
But man, on that day, when I visited right after that renovation, I wanted that orange carpet back so badly. Now, honestly, it's funny when I look back on it now. At the time, though, I couldn't imagine that God wanted to be in such a place. I was sure that God had been best at home among the orange carpet and the choir loft and the high and mighty pulpit and lectern. I was pretty sure we had evicted God, or at the very least, that God would not be renewing his lease. Now, when it comes to questions about where God is housed or located, we, we tend to have pretty strong opinions, like I had in my young adult days. We tend to chalk it up to reverence for God. In truth, it seems it is a little bit more about predictability and control over God. We put God in a box so we know where he is. By having a place, a location, a home for God, we can know where to go to find God. We can guarantee that God will never be all that far away. Our scripture today is all about this question of creating the right dwelling place for God. We encounter King David settled into his grand palace, his new home, King David loves his new place, but finds himself uncomfortable with where the Ark of the Covenant is housed. He begins to think that God needs a more permanent place to call home than the simple, lowly tent that God has been hanging around in. David goes to the prophet Nathan to ask if this is a good idea. Now, at first, Nathan says, yeah, sure, go for it. But then God comes to Nathan that night and tells him to go back and speak to King David about this whole idea of building a house for God. Our scripture quickly points us to an important reality about God. It points us to the idea that God doesn't need a house. God doesn't need a fancy stone building built by a famous architect. See, we aren't the ones that need to be doing the building. Rather, God wants to build us into the incarnated dwelling place of God. Advent, not to mention Advent in the middle of a pandemic, is a unique time to reflect on the meaning of home and what home means in terms of God's dwelling. Over the last year, home in many ways has become the one place that is a safe sanctuary for us as we spend considerably more time there. Depending on your circumstance, home has maybe equally come to feel a little bit like a prison, especially if you live alone or are in very tight quarters. During this time of year, home is usually, for many, that special place you can return to and be with family and friends. It's a place of reconnecting. This year, unfortunately, much of that sense of home during the holidays is missing for many of us, as we won't be joining family or friends. Then there is the church building and what that means in terms of home. Home for us and home for God. It too is a place that we often return to in this holiday season, especially on Christmas Eve. 
It is where much of our journey with God takes place in the form of worship services and Bible studies and Christian education classes, service opportunities, and children and youth groups and activities. Just this time last year, on the fourth Sunday of Advent, children and youth were covering this very chancel, dressed as sheep and angels and shepherds, recounting the message of Christ's birth. Many of us would likely say that the church, or sanctuary in particular, is the place that we feel closest to God. For many of us, having the building closed during the pandemic has been one of the most difficult and frustrating parts of this year. It can feel like we've been locked down from God. Now, I have to confess something here, though. As a clergy person, I find church buildings to be the greatest obstacle to my call in ministry. See, on the one hand, they feed into my introverted isolationist tendencies. Church buildings serve as a wonderful fort that provide me a nice office for me to hang out in. I can sit there and I can busy myself while I wait for people to come in, come to me. On the other hand, as I try to lean into the Spirit of God calling me to reach out to those beyond our immediate church community, the building becomes this literal stumbling block between me and the broader world that we desire to welcome. Our building, while beautiful to those, to, while beautiful to those unchurched or dechurched or anti-church or spiritual but not religious, the church building is this mysterious place, an outlandish place that appears daunting and overbearing. Coming in feels like a huge risk that many in our culture today just aren't willing to take. Now, while I deeply miss being together in this space, I truly do, I must also confess that I have enjoyed just a little bit, our building being closed. Now, I know for many of us in a year as tough as the one we have faced and endured, it can feel like God has been absent. That when we closed the doors of the church, when we stopped worship, worshiping together here in this sanctuary, God evaporated. While it may feel that way, it simply isn't true. And this, this is why I have enjoyed just a little bit the building being closed. Because rather than God evaporating or God being locked inside, I've seen God at home outside the walls of our church, at home in our parking lot and in our community. The truth of our scripture that King David risks missing and that we too risk missing is that God doesn't need a church building to be at home, to be present. God desires to be at home among a people he can call his own. God desires to dwell among us. John 1:14 affirms to us this truth as well. The word became flesh and dwells among us. Or as Eugene Peterson's The Message paraphrase puts it, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. To tell you the truth, 
I've seen God dwelling among us, knowing precisely what we have needed in this time. I've seen God through meals delivered by one congregation member to another as they grieved the loss of a loved one or healed from illness or surgery. God has shown up through busloads of canned foods for our brothers and sisters whose neighborhood stores were impacted by the riots. Through weekly meals served to our homeless community members, through youth group and outdoor worship in the parking lot. God has shown up through virtual Bible studies and the online angel tree program. You see, our scripture today points us to an understanding of home and God that is much greater than any particular place. It articulates the greatest narrative of faith, that of a God who remains with us no matter where we are. God remarks to Nathan that he has been with David from the beginning, that he was the one that brought him up from the field of the sheep, and, and he will be the one to make a home for all of David's people. The scripture says, Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In Advent, the steadfast love and all-knowing and all-present nature of God is what we celebrate and hold on to God's promise that began by leading the Israelite people out of Egypt to freedom, a promise that brought them into the hands of King David, is the promise that we are adopted into through Jesus Christ. That promise is expressed in God's rebuff of David's plan to build God a house. God cannot be contained, limited to the four walls of a house that goes against the very nature of the God who is and what God promises. For God is in front of us and behind us. God is with us. And God chose to be close to us, to be in the middle of all the messiness of our world and lives. See, God could have said yes to David. God could have allowed David to box God up in an ornate house, separate and distant from God's people. But God knows that isn't what we need. God knows that what we need is for God to defy all our assumptions and attempts to limit or constrain God in four walls of any place. What we need is a God that comes to be with us in a way so normal, so human, that we run the risk of missing God's presence in our lives all together. In this very dark advent where pain and death and suffering seem to abound and seem to be endless, maybe it is fitting, maybe it really is fitting that we can't return home to this sanctuary yet. Instead, instead we're called to look outward, to stay in the broken, troubling world where Jesus from the line of David was born. Instead of taking shelter in our sanctuaries this Advent, we are challenged to make room for the Christ child amidst the lowly, everyday realities of our lives and our world. We're challenged to prepare ourselves to accept that love and that hope and that joy and that peace of the newborn king, a king whose hope is among us. Amen.